Games, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, streaming was supposed to be the technology that freed viewers from the never-ending hassles and price hikes of cable TV, but it hasn't really worked out that way. Also this morning, in case you missed it, highlights from the third of our WFIN Candidate Forum series, featuring the three Republican hopefuls vying to be the next Hancock County Sheriff. Happening around town after a pandemic hiatus, the more than 50-year tradition known as International Night returns next month to the University of Findlay. We'll get a preview. And coming out of hibernation for March programs and activities from the Hancock Park District, Michelle Rumschlag will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. So another Taylor Swift story is in the news, this time involving her dad, a photographer in Australia, says he was assaulted by Taylor Swift's father. This is the story. Ben McDonald, the photographer, told police that Scott Swift struck him in the face uh, in Sydney, what, I guess yesterday? I don't know. It's a different part of the world, so I don't know today, yesterday, (laughs) last week. I don't know. Anyway... Apparently, the pop star and her dad were getting off of a yacht, and a spokesperson for Taylor Swift says two people were aggressively pushing toward the star. The photographer, though, says he had already gotten back in his car when uh, Taylor Swift's father charged in and smacked him. Now, I'm not passing any judgment. I don't know you know, what happened. I obviously wasn't there. Uh, we only have the, uh, the report the police report, and he said, she said sort of thing here. But I would have to side with Taylor Swift's dad. I mean, can you imagine being the father of the biggest pop star in the world? I mean, here's your daughter, uh, obviously incredibly talented, a very skilled marketer and self-promoter. I mean, you don't become the biggest pop star in the world by accident. I mean, she's... Very good at what she does. But being such a big star, there's always going to be that pushback from the paparazzi, from everybody taking shots to your daughter online. You know what I mean? Uh, all of this all of this criticism, this vitriol uh, that people are spewing about your daughter. It's not uh, out of the realm of possibility that Taylor Swift's dad just finally decided to pop off. I mean, it's not like... It's not like he does this all the time. Uh, this is the first time I can ever remember uh, Taylor Swift's dad uh, in the news for you know making a little trouble uh, over his daughter's popularity. I didn't even know Scott Swift's name until this story popped up on the Newswire. But I can't even imagine if it was my daughter. Uh, I, I I think I would pop off a lot more often. So I, I think my uh, sentiments here are with uh, Mr. Swift. And you know how aggressive the paparazzi can be sometimes. So not uh, surprising that uh, things would get a little out of hand. But anyway, that's the latest Taylor Swift story. Um, This is the other uh, story that's in the news by now. You've probably heard the news that uh, Findlay's Outback Steakhouse location has closed. And it's not the only one, apparently. Saw this story on the Business Wire this morning. You can blame corporate downsizing for the closure. Uh... It was kind of interesting because when I mentioned this to my wife, I I learned the news and I mentioned it to my wife and she said, how can it possibly be closed? It was always busy. Um, 
Apparently, Blumen Brands, the parent company of Outback, has closed 41 underperforming locations across all its brands, which also include Carabas, Italian Grill, Bonefish Grill, and Fleming's. The closures announced during an earnings call were primarily focused, though, on Outback Steakhouse establishments. Blumen Brands attributed the decision to various factors, including poor sales, which didn't appear to be the case in Finley. Like we said, just parking lot was always busy. Uh, but poor sales, but also reduced customer traffic and the high costs involved in upgrading their older locations, with many having leases dating back to the 1990s and early 2000s. So, apparently we are not the only ones that saw our Outback location disappear uh, over the past several days. A couple of other uh, items among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. This is... Probably not the last time we will hear some story like this, given the fact that artificial intelligence is becoming such a pervasive part of you know the digital world these days. The Beverly Hills Unified School District in California is dealing with an unsettling situation where students at Beverly Vista Middle School, middle school students, are using artificial intelligence to create and share Nude images of their classmates. These deep fakes involving middle school classmates. The school district, in collaboration with the Beverly Hills Police Department, is working to identify both the victims and the perpetrators of this. The general, uh, the uh, AI-generated images superimposed students' faces onto AI-generated nude bodies leading to reports from concerned students and parents, obviously. According to the report, the school officials have expressed their commitment to supporting those those affected and preventing further incidents. Parents and cybersecurity experts are highlighting the need for legislative action to address the growing problem of AI-generated explicit content involving minors. And again, not only were the victims minors in this case, but the perpetrators were minors. Similar incidents have been reported uh, in other locations, prompting calls for legal measures to combat uh, this form of harassment. It's yeah, really scary. really is. Uh, a couple of other items that caught my eye among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Speaking of technology, is this the future of fast food? Uh, one fast food joint in New York City has gone completely humanless actually uh the whole concept is that there are no people it's called kernel a new concept from the founder of chipotle steve ells ells ellis ells is his name yeah anyway the concept features robot chefs placing food in lockers for pickup so how does it work you place an order on the website or on the app you receive a notification when your dish is ready and you pick it up uh, from a from a locker, from a, you know. Uh, there is currently only one location in the Gramercy neighborhood of New York City. The menu is entirely plant-based. Features burgers and sandwiches, salads, sides, and cookies. All plant-based. But um, <laughs> I'm thinking it's completely human, this. Everything is done by robot. Um, 
I'm not sure if it's less expensive. I guess the, the robots don't take off vac- for vacation. They don't call in sick. Although they do break down, you got to have somebody come and fix them. But anyway, it's got to be very expensive to run one of these, I would think. But I, I read that and I thought to myself, you know, the people who are triggered by self-checkout are not going to like this. <laughs> I mean, if you're one of those people that doesn't like self-checkout, you're probably not going to like this very much. We'll see if it catches on. And uh, how about the feel-good story of the day? This is really cool. The Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx will offer free tuition to all med school students in perpetuity thanks to a historic billion-dollar donation from former professor Dr. Ruth uh, Gottesman. Dr. Ruth Gottesman made a billion-dollar donation. Now, uh, the contribution actually came from Dr. Uh, Gottesman's late husband, David. I don't know where he got his billion dollars, but I guess it doesn't really matter. The announcement was met with applause and celebration from current students. But again, this is not just for current students. This is in perpetuity. Uh, this gift is so large to be able to pay off uh, the student loan debt of the current students and offer free tuition moving forward. That is a big donation. Uh, Dr. Gottesman, age 93, revealed the significant donation, one of the largest to an educational institution in the U.S., stating that starting in August, the medical school will be tuition-free. I wonder if there are any uh, strings attached. Uh, If, in exchange for free tuition, you have to agree to uh, practice for a set amount of time in an underserved community or, you know, overseas, someplace else in the world. I, I don't know if there are any... Uh, conditions on that or not, but that is pretty doggone impressive. Uh, pretty doggone impressive. And I want, I wonder if um, uh, that will uh, lower the cost of <laughs> of medical care for some folks. Doctors don't have all of those huge medical uh, student loans to uh, to pay off. And one other uh, note to. Uh, uh, pass along here. You remember a few days ago that we mentioned Delta Airlines is offering uh, a solar eclipse flight from Austin, Texas to Detroit on April the 8th. Uh, they will fly along the path of totality in a special plane with large windows so that everybody can get a good look at the solar eclipse from 35,000 feet. We were saying how cool would that be to see the eclipse in, in that way? Well, obviously, the flight sold out in, like, no time. I mean, it was within hours of announcing the flight that uh, they sold out. So, Delta is adding at least one additional flight. It says after the first one sold out in less than 24 hours. Again, it will leave Austin around 1230 local time there. We'll travel along the path of totality to the eclipse and arrive in Detroit at 420. Uh, Second flight is scheduled to be a larger aircraft than the first, so even more customers will be able to take part. But I'm guessing this one's going to sell out pretty darn quickly as well. And you can only add so many of them. I mean, it's not like you can take off, you know, stagger these flights all day long. I mean, there's a very limited window to see the uh, eclipse. So there are only so many flights that you can have in the air tracking the eclipse at the same time. So um, I mention it, although... I'm guessing by now it's probably sold out, so it's probably too late, but kind of interesting nonetheless. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories 
to get your Tuesday morning started. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. The National Weather Service says there's a slight risk for severe weather in Ohio later today and through tonight. Storms will develop later and sweep across the state that could bring damaging wind and hail. Even a tornado is possible. The western half of the state is at greater risk. An electric vehicle parts plant is coming to Tuscarawas County in east-central Ohio. Russ Mitchell with Owen and Affiliate WKYC-TV in Cleveland reports. Governor DeWine announced Scheffler will build a new facility in Dover. That facility will be right off 77 in the North End Industrial Park. The project is expected to create 650 jobs. Workers will build parts to support the hybrid EV industry. The company expects to break ground in the middle of this year. Scheffler currently has facilities in Worcester and Strongsville. I'm Russ Mitchell. The Federal Trade Commission is suing to block a proposed merger deal for Kroger. The FTC says the $24.6 billion deal between Cincinnati-based Kroger and Albertsons, which is headquartered in Idaho, would eliminate competition and lead to higher prices for millions of Americans. Kroger and Albertsons, two of the nation's largest grocers, agreed to merge in October of 2022. The companies say a merger would help them better compete with Walmart, Amazon, Costco, and other big rivals. Kate Burdett, ONN. For more state news, go to ONNradio.com. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. So now our cover story this morning, you know, over the past few years, cord cutting has become sort of the trendy thing as people ditch their traditional cable TV subscriptions for the on-demand alternative of streaming services. Not only is it a more convenient way to watch the stuff you want to watch, it was supposed to be the technology that freed viewers from the never-ending price hikes of cable. But now consumers are finding out that in many respects, They've traded one hassle for another. CNET senior streaming editor Courtney Jackson has a new piece on the battle of the budget and joins us this morning. The flashpoint here, Courtney, is this fact that nearly every streaming service in the past six months or so has either hiked prices, added commercials, or both. And this is what many viewers were trying to avoid by switching to streaming in the first place. So have streamers just simply gotten greedy? Well, it's a combination of things. One of the things that we're seeing in terms of the reasons behind the price increases is the cost of content. So providers like Netflix and Max invest a lot of money in creating like those in-house originals that we stream and and Mm -hmm. love, shows like Stranger Things. The other part of that is licensing rights that they pay for it let's say, content from an external provider. Mm -hmm. So those movie releases that we like. um, Also, live sports, they have to pay a lot of money in order for our viewers to see that content on the platform. And more and more of the streamers are uh, dipping their toes into that live sports streaming. And I guess in that respect, it really wasn't realistic to think that we were going to replace a $100 cable bill with a $9.99 streaming service uh, in the long term, right? Yeah, not for long. I mean, like I said, the cost of providing that content is going up and also the cost of the technology it takes to operate these platforms. So um, it might be that the the nice little ride we've had is coming to an end really <laughs> soon. And add that in with the cost of paid sharing that we've seen with Netflix 
and Disney Plus is getting ready to do, we're going to be paying more out of pocket. So the crux of your story is this question of whether streaming is still cheaper. Is it? In most cases, it is. Um, what I found when we when we crunch these numbers is that most consumers, uh, we average the cost of internet and cable packages across six cities. You're paying an average of $70 for just standalone internet service. Mm-hmm. When you add in the cost of, let's say, an on-demand platform like Hulu or Netflix or Disney+, Plus, it still comes out less than what you're paying for a basic cable package. Where you'll see that difference is when it comes to fans who want to see live sports. So it ends up actually costing more to have a service like direct TV stream or Hulu plus live TV than it will with it getting a nice cable bundle. If you love and have to see sports every single week. But like with anything, there's also a difference uh, when it comes to price and value. I mean, if the, if the price is within a few bucks one way or the other, there are still a number of conveniences and benefits when it comes to streaming. So that you also have to keep in, uh, in mind and take into account. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing with cable, I don't know if most people consider this, is you're going to pay extra for equipment fees, taxes, what they call a broadcast TV fee that they tack on, all mm-hmm. these hidden fees um, that you don't take in consideration when you're actually calculating the cost initially. So um, it's true. Streaming does come out better when it comes to things like that because what you see is what you get in terms of pricing and there aren't all these hidden fees. That being said, there are so many streaming services now, and to see everything, you have to subscribe to them all or rotate through them all from month to month, does raise the question of, like we said, whether we've just traded one hassle for another. Yes, it can be. Um, According to surveys from Deloitte and other providers, consumers are overwhelmed with choices when it comes to streaming services. But it all comes down to what you want to see and when you want to see it. One of the things we do suggest is to rotate your services. That's going to save you a lot of money on a month-to-month basis and also annually. So if you know your favorite show is getting ready to come out, let's say next month, and it's going to have 10 episodes, you have an option. You can either pay for the several months that that show is streaming, or you can chop it down and binge it when every episode is available you know, three or four months from now. That can save you a lot of money over time. Again, it's one of the things that, you know, we couldn't do years ago when a a season of a show would air once a week for, you know, several months. And now you've got these shows that drop all of their episodes at once or over a much uh, more compressed time frame. And you can watch them now or you can watch them six months from now and and catch up on something that you might have missed from earlier. So a lot of different flexible options that you didn't have uh, versus linear TV the way it used to be. Right. And you point out uh, apps that can help you keep track of, you know, what services to subscribe to or which ones you are subscribed to and, and so on. So you don't, you know, uh, so you keep a, a handle on those things. Yeah, absolutely. We suggest signing up for an app like Just Watch or TV Time that can help you keep up with when a title is being released on the platform. In most cases, that's going to be a regular TV show or a film, including new film releases. Uh, like the Taylor Swift concept tour film that's getting ready to hit Disney Plus next month. Um, But you won't be able to track like your live sports events. That's something that you'll have to sort of manage on your own. But we definitely do suggest using an app. 
And certainly one of the conveniences to streaming uh, that we mentioned is the fact that in most cases, it's much easier to cancel or suspend a streaming service than it is for cable. Anyone who's ever called the cable company to uh, cancel to go to streaming knows that that can be a hassle. Yes. Uh, one of the things we're keeping an eye on is whether the FCC will decide to um, enact this proposal to get rid of cancellation fees for cable providers. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big determining factor for a lot of people. I know in some cases you may pay as much as $200 for those early termination fees for right. cable yeah. if you decide to become a cord cutter. So the FCC is analyzing that right now. Um, and they may a- actually enact something to prevent that from happening in the future. But as it stands today, streaming is still ultimately the cheaper option. To be fair, uh, cable does have some advantages. Well, they, they have uh, the cable companies have done a much better job in enhancing their offerings, uh, responding to this new digital competition than some other forms of legacy media uh, have uh, when they've been threatened by uh, new technologies in the past. They've been much quicker to respond and offered up uh, you know, more options, more uh, on-demand content, that kind of thing. Uh, even in some cases, uh, cable companies offering their own streaming apps uh, to compete. So they've recognize that they have an issue and have responded to this. That's true. I mean, it's unavoidable. That's why you see those flexible bundle packages, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that cost a lot more to, to sign up for. Cost a lot less, I'm sorry, Yeah. to sign up for. Right. Um, and also, again, folding in those streaming options, whether it's their own in-house offering or including free access to an on-demand platform like Netflix or Mac. You know, the other part of the streaming media revolution story has been the reemergence of free over-the-air TV that was once considered nearly obsolete. You touch in that in your piece as well. Yes, it's a great alternative for those who are looking for a free way to stream, especially when it comes to local stations like ABC or CBS, and you want to catch the news or a broadcast of like your favorite show. Um, The antennas, you can buy one for as little as $20 and get that access. Um, The other alternative you can pair with that is to just use a free streaming service like Pluto TV or Tubi or Freebie. Mm -hmm. So there are a multitude of options out there, but it's interesting that, you know, what was seen as the incredibly inexpensive alternative to the traditional cable TV bundle has sort of morphed into something that is uh, rather more complicated uh, than when it uh, you know, first started. Uh, again, CNET senior streaming editor Courtney Jackson with us this morning with her piece on the battle of the budget when it comes to streaming versus cable TV. Courtney, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one. Well, in case you missed it last night here on WFIN and WFIN.com and the WFIN Facebook page, the three Republican candidates hoping to be our next Hancock County Sheriff faced off in the third of our WFIN Candidate Forum series ahead of the primary election next month. One of the more noteworthy exchanges during the hour-long conversation came after we, it came fairly early in the uh, uh, in the forum, uh, we had just 
been talking about the drug problem, addressing the drug problem uh, in the community, best ways of tackling that. And the follow-up, I asked, what, aside from drugs, would be the greatest challenge facing our community from a law enforcement standpoint? And two points came up in response to that question, mental health and the growing diversity of our population. And here is some of that exchange. Aside from drugs, what would be the next most pressing problem in our community from a law enforcement standpoint? And what would you do to address it? We'll start with Mr. Cortez. It would have to definitely be the, our mental health, our community mental health, and not only just the community mental health, but our mental health for our law enforcement officers as well. And so my approach with that is I've met with Family Resource Center and the National Alliance on Mental Illness and discussed what gaps exist between the Sheriff's Office and the mental health community and what can we do to work together to better serve the value of, of the citizens or that demographic of folks that suffer from mental health illnesses. And it's this, we need to embed or integrate a joint effort between law enforcement and mental health professionals so they can have a specialized approach to each and every one of those calls that we encounter. Mr. Harmon. So I've been passionate about mental health for 20 years. I've been with the crisis intervention team for that long. I've coordinated the crisis intervention team, which is the one that trains the uh, first responders in Hancock County how to respond to mental health crises. With that, I have actually been to several conferences national nationwide. It's not just about law enforcement or mental health. It has to be a combined. I brought this back over 10 years ago where we decided we wanted to have a co-response, where we have trained professionals going out with, mental, with our law enforcement. And what I've found that it's not actually a trained professional licensed social worker, it's a peer. Somebody that has that peer experience, that lived experience, is one's going to associate most with people with mental health. Uh, I helped create the Veterans Response Team in Hancock County, which is a peer-led organization where we respond to law, enfor or to law enforcement uh, requests to send a peer who has military veteran experience. That's where it's at. You know, we have to make sure that we're taking care of these folks on that level. And Mr. Price, both the colleagues have touched on mental health, and that's true. This morning I worked over an hour and a half to find transport of one of our mental health uh, clients here in the county to find an open bed that tied up a sergeant, a captain, and a deputy holding over from a shift prior. We did make the arrangements, but we got to find a solution. We have to find a way because jail's not the option. The other thing is some of the immigration issues that we're seeing here in Hancock County. It's tying up patrolmen and deputies as we struggle to have those communications between each other. We struggle to find interpreters. I sat on a board with the chiefs of the county working with the courts in order to find out a way that we can accommodate interpreters for the patrol and deputies. We're trying to find ways to get them information through the Department of Public Safety. We're working with the health department. Unfortunately, they're here and we're struggling to communicate with them. You know, I'm required to have a interpreter that's approved by the higher Supreme Court in order to give them their legal rights. And yes, they still have rights. They are human beings and we have to find a way to work around it. And we are. It's just not a fast process. It's something we have to be diligent about doing. 
Mr. Price, you mentioned growing diversity of our uh, community. It's true that uh, our community, like many uh, in this country, is becoming more and more diverse. Expand on the uh, thought uh, a bit of uh, addressing the challenges that come along with uh, growing diversity in our population. Over my years, and starting back in 1998, and coming from a small farm community in uh, Wyandotte County, I didn't have a lot of diversity. So my first diversity was Finley, Ohio. And we all know that there was not a lot here. Times have changed. Times have changed greatly since 1998 in my time and privilege of working here in the Sheriff's Office. The way we train our deputies is definitely different. The way they're trained in the academy, the way that we promote more training within our inner office, and the conversations that we have are the ways that we're preparing our deputies for those encounters that we have in our community. I feel as, as a group, as we continue to work together with the public officials, with the community involvement and engagement, to hear those concerns, we can fight back a little bit. But it's gonna take time. It's gonna take effort amongst everybody. Just because you hold the title of sheriff doesn't mean you have all the answers. But working together with the community, we can make good things happen. Mr. Cortez. So back in the 1990, 1994, when I first started, I remember having to take a class called Cultural Diversity. It was a education of how to interact with those that are different from us, whether they're African-American or Hispanic or otherwise. Here about three years ago, I introduced a program, a training for our deputies called Racial Intelligence. And Racial Intelligence is the approach of being aware of our own biases, whether they're implicit or explicit biases. But what's more important than that is understanding the folks that are coming into our country. And I think that we need to go back and have a better understanding of their culture and what their expectations are, how they interact, you know, what what's their norms. And we need to arm our officers with that information and couple it together with that racial intelligence training and be able to have identified resources for these folks that are coming in. That way we can vet those resources out to those individuals that may need our assistance in, in this community. And Mr. Hart. So I, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a very diverse community from age 7 to 14 in Batavia, Illinois. Um, so when I came to, to Hancock County, it was kind of a culture shock to me. Um, I've always been taught to accept people for who they are. You're a person first. And then we can talk about our differences. And that's one of the things we have to do is talk about our differences. You know, we, we talk about race. It, that's not the only differences between us. We have religion. We have culture. We have how we were brought up, our, our families and, you know, sexual orientation. We have to talk about these things and be open to each other. We don't always have to agree. I can guarantee that. We don't always have to agree, but we do need to start accepting people as people. Part of the exchange from last night's candidate forum featuring the three candidates who want to be the next Hancock County Sheriff, Mike Cortez, Mark Price, Daniel Harmon. Again, uh, we should note that that uh, clip, uh, that, that segment was uh, edited for time, but you can uh, view the entire uh, forum from last night. It is archived on the WFIN Facebook page. It was really a very interesting hour-long conversation uh, with the three gentlemen who want to be uh, Hancock County's top cop. We've got a link to the video of the uh, forum from last night. 
at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net and you can find it there. And of course, next week will be the final uh, candidate forum ahead of the uh, primary election. We're going to be speaking with the three candidates who uh, are vying for a seat in the Hancock County Commissioners. And uh, again, that'll be Monday of next week, uh, beginning at 5 p.m. We'll be live at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts, uh, on air and online, WFIN and the WFIN Facebook page. So happening around town next Friday, after a pandemic hiatus, the more than 50-year tradition known as International Night returns next month at the University of Finland. And uh, joining us with a preview is uh, Alex Parker. Alex, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Good to see you again. So uh, tell us about uh, the the uh, what International Night is, first of all, for those who are maybe not familiar. Gotcha. So International Night is a, a basically a cultural festival. We mm-hmm. celebrate diversity not just on the University of Finley campus, but in our community as well. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have food. There's going to be songs and music and dance and, uh, I already said food, but food, yeah, food, yeah, food, food, foods. And the best part, the food doesn't cost anything. They're just samples. <laughs> and yeah. it's from our, our international students. So that's really, uh, what is, is cool about this is that the students themselves kind of put all of this together to celebrate their uh, own heritage and share that with fellow students, with the community, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hundred percent on them. They, they, they sign up, they, uh, decide what they're going to do. Some of them, uh, only do, you know, a little presentation, like, hey, this is where I'm from mm-hmm. and this is what, how we do things, the language that we speak. Uh, some of them do the food samples. Some of them will go up on stage and dance to their own cultural music. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a big night of of celebrating uh, differences. Yeah. Um, and it is a free event, uh, right? Yep. Yep. So. It only costs as much as you want it to cost you. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll be taking donations, but... Yeah. Entry is absolutely free. Now, this is, as we mentioned, happening uh, next Friday. It's uh, uh, March 8th, so uh, (laughs) the end of next week. Um, Where and when and all of that? Gotcha. So it'll be at the Weinbrenner Theological Seminary, uh, 950 uh, 950 North Main Street, I believe. Yeah, Yeah, right there on Main Street. Right, right. It's the big building. It's the big building. Um, And then uh, 5 to 9. So okay. starting at five o'clock there at Weinbrenner, show up, we'll, we'll get you all situated. And this is uh, really interesting for those who maybe don't know, this uh, will be sort of an eye-opener to the wide range of international students that are on the University of Finley campus. Absolutely. So it, it's it's crazy to, to think that we have uh, over 400 international students at the University of Finley, mm-hmm. and they come from all over. Um, I've met students from Ghana. Uh, I've met students from, uh, the Ivory coast, uh, Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, and, um, I've met students from Bangladesh. Like we, they're just from all over the world. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, celebrating the, the cultural, uh, diversity, the language diversity, the, uh, you know, music and food and, and all of that. Um, that's the other thing that, you know, we live in such a smaller world today than what we did generations ago, mm-hmm. and yet 
to still see just how different it is in different parts of the world, I think is interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and it's different seeing it in person rather than on screen, right? Mm -hmm. Like getting to that firsthand knowledge and that firsthand experience of getting to meet with these students and say, Oh my gosh, like, yeah, they're wildly different, but they're just like me at mm-hmm. the same time. Right. I, and, and that's uh, another thing that is, I, I think, valuable about uh, International Night is that we tend to, I don't know, maybe this is uh, our mindset with the uh, modern sensibilities. We tend to not want to highlight our differences. Uh, mm-hmm. We want we feel sometimes uncomfortable asking people about their uh, their differences, their culture. Um, but this is how we learn, and this is an opportunity to actually do that when you're encouraged to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and uh, to that point, yeah, it's like getting to celebrate something that we don't typically celebrate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we, we typically you know, like one humankind, but mm-hmm. there's differences in that humankind, and it's yeah. nice to to see those laid out mm-hmm. in such a manner because it's going to be like set up in booths so you'll go from country to country essentially <laughs> <laughs> now again the the students have been doing this uh themselves this is a, sort of a labor of love for all of the the kids that uh that sign up uh for this how long do have they been preparing for the, when does this start the preparations for this actually start gotcha so we actually have a committee uh that got started on the process um back in early january and we started having students sign up then so it's been uh it's been a good two months of, of them preparing figuring out what they're going to do some of them uh i'll be driving them up on tuesday to get uh ingredients for the food they need <laughs> and down in cleveland or up in cleveland <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i would imagine that there, in some cases uh, it's not necessarily real easy to find everything that uh, needs to be found right you can't find halal beef in uh or whole all meat in, in, in Finley, believe it or not. Really? Really? Well, I, you know, maybe sometime in the not so distant future, you will be able to, that's, that's our uh, goal. You know. Um, but, uh, and I would imagine that, that they're probably thinking about it even, uh, longer, uh, than that. I mean, oh, yeah. as you mentioned, the sign up and, you know, the real preparation started a couple of months ago, but oh, yeah. I, I'm sure this is something because as we said, this is a tradition that's going on for half a century. And I would imagine it's interesting when you look back over the years at how that diversity has changed and expanded over a half a century right so it's it's interesting and actually so it was started by dr uh rayburn wallen uh back in the 60s and it started with his in his house so Mm. it started very small right like it was just him having dinner with international students and it got to the point where his wife was like hey we're getting a lot of of students can we move this to campus Mm -hmm. so you have more space and uh that was the first international night in 1969 and it's just grown ever since yeah um this year will be a little smaller because of the fact that it's coming back yeah after the the, uh, pandemic so this is the first one in a couple of years right yeah so we had a virtual one a couple years ago um but this is the first in person like back to our roots Mm mm-hmm uh, and how excited is everybody uh, for that to actually get back? Because, uh, again, the, the purpose is, I mean, doing it virtually is better than not doing it at all, but uh, doing it in person really is the, the crux of it. I mean, it's not the oh, same. Yeah. It's, it's very exciting. Our, our students love to showcase their culture, so they're, they're, they're energized, they're excited. Um, we're energized and excited. You know, this is my first year on campus, so this is get, I get to be a part of this for the yeah. first time ever yeah. and it's exciting um 
folks I've talked to in the community are excited for it to come back. Folks that have never experienced it before yeah. uh, on campus are like, this is what? What are we doing? This is great. Yeah. And, well, and again, it, it really is uh, interesting especially if you've not been before to just discover how incredibly diverse and how special and how cool some of this stuff uh, really is. And the, and the energy of the kids, uh, the, I shouldn't say kids, the young, young people wanting to share that uh, culture with uh, others. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, so it is uh, next Friday. It is uh, March 8th. And again, 5 to 9, did you yep. say? 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Weinbrenner. Okay. Yep. Uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for more information about it. If you want to check out more details on uh, International Night, uh, again, it is open to all um, and the entire community. Welcome to uh, to check it out. It is a terrific event. And uh, Alex Parker, the University of Finland, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you, Chris. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's something else entirely. Social media is all abuzz over a talented yet mysterious pilot who inexplicably spent six hours drawing in the sky a certain part of the male anatomy. The risque aerial artwork was spotted by Flight Radar 24. It's an online flight tracking website uh, that... If you if you go on the on the website, you can see the you can see all of the planes in the air and the uh, flight path uh, that they have taken from when they take off to where where they land. And uh, so this uh, pilot uh, took off. Unknown pilot took off at eight forty seven p.m. on Saturday night. Landed at two forty seven a.m. on Sunday at the Belfountain Regional Airport in Logan County. Uh, this is according to a report in uh, Gizmodo. Uh, based on the public information available, it appears the plane belongs to Midwest Corporate Air Incorporated, a flight school there in, in Belfast. And apparently they train their pilots very well because this guy drew a picture of the male anatomy in the sky with his flight path. To be clear, he didn't. It wasn't skywriting. It wasn't like he was drawing this for everyone to see. The only way you could see this is if you went on the Flight Radar Twenty Four website and tracked the actual flight path. So how he did? I mean, this is uh, pretty pretty impressive, but unknown why he did it. Um, he drew the uh, <clears throat> you know, and then scripted the words "see ya" before <laughs> before landing. Uh, given the fact that there can't be that many planes landing at the Belfountain Airport at 2.47 a.m. on a Sunday morning, the pilot should be fairly easy to track down. But the bigger question that people are trying to tackle is, why? Why Why would someone do this? I don't know. Um, But... (laughs) You can can look it up and and see it. It is one of those not-safe-for-work images. Um... (laughs) the sky but is very uh bizarre uh just to our south uh you're making national headlines 
<clears throat> for his aerial artwork. Elsewhere in the, in the broken news, some days, you know, uh, are very light on the uh, broken news. And then other days, uh, it's just a plethora of broken, broken news. I'm not sure if we can actually get it all in today. A California woman who says she just needed to get a ride back to San Jose allegedly stole an Amazon delivery van to get herself there. Uh, police say the 36-year-old woman jumped in an Amazon van when his driver hopped out to deliver a package in Palo Alto. The driver had left the van running, uh, and when he came back, he saw it driving off. Uh, it was loaded with packages which were all accounted for upon the woman's arrest. She was booked on suspicion of felony, suspicion of felony vehicle theft and committing a felony while out on bail, which itself is a felony. So she's in all kinds of trouble with the law. She explained she just needed to get a ride back to San Jose. <laughs> Isn't there a song about that? Do you know the way to San Jose? Um, <laughs> apparently, the way to San Jose is not on board a, uh, an Amazon delivery truck, especially if it's not yours. Speaking of <laughs> strange uh, traffic stories, a woman in South Carolina was arrested for running over multiple tombstones at a cemetery in Livonia, Georgia. And when she asked why in the world she would do such a thing, she explained she was late for an appointment. <laughs> she was taking a shortcut through the cemetery. She was late for an appointment. Police shared on Facebook that the unidentified woman uh, drove down Interstate 85 through Livonia and into the Livonia Cemetery. I'm guessing that Livonia is kind of like Findlay, where the cemetery is like right off the interstate. So she exited the interstate, drove through the cemetery, damaging several graves. Then she uh, ran on foot, but was quickly captured. The woman explained her actions by uh, saying that she was late for an appointment. (laughs) One witness to the incident said what appeared to be a black Kia Soul flew over the railroad tracks with law enforcement in hot pursuit. Uh, She says she uh, told her husband if the driver doesn't survive their uh, pitiful choice, at least it's a short trip to the cemetery. I guess there is that. (laughs) Wow. You're late for an appointment. Oh, well, then, of course, it's fine. Um, Speaking of uh, strange stories involving motor vehicles, a (laughs) a 21-year-old by the name of Connor Litka, reportedly attempted to purchase a Porsche from a Kentucky auto dealership with a $78 million check. (laughs) Nothing suspicious about that. 21-year-old with a $78 million check. (laughs) Nothing to see here. Employees claim that after they said they were not going to sell him the vehicle, he began walking around looking for the keys anyway. One worker then called the police who arrested Mr. Litka when he refused to leave the dealership. Uh, The cops also suspect that Mr. Litka uh, was the one who tried to purchase a Land Rover with a $12 million check earlier. (laughs) So he had two checks. One was $78 million. One was $12 million. Uh, Maybe he won the lottery. I don't know. Uh, He is being charged with criminal trespassing and disorderly conduct. And he doesn't have his Land Rover or his Porsche. (laughs) Uh, How about a story with a happy ending? Uh, This also from Kentucky, where a man thought he had lost, thought that he had lost 
a winning $50,000 Powerball ticket, but then found it by happenstance in a company car. Apparently it was missing for three months, this ticket. Um, the man, and his name was not given, says he bought the ticket in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and was surprised when the store owner told him that he won. But then after searching everywhere, he couldn't find the ticket. Finally located it in the company car that he was driving at the time. Apparently it just dawned on him that, hey, I had a company car that day. So we went back and checked the company car and uh, lo and behold, found the ticket, shared the good news with his wife. They are thinking about using the prize money for a vacation. Don't take the company car. That's... <laughs> I, it's just amazing that uh, you know, nobody else uh, ended up with the, with the ticket. It was uh, like a shared company car. Thank goodness that nobody else found it either. <laughs> it been out as 50K. And uh, finally, in the broken news this morning... Uh, again, sometimes you don't have to go very far to find the uh, broken news. Letitia Bishop sa- says last month at a Columbus, Ohio subway location, she ended up spending more than $1,000 for one subway sandwich. Um, actually, I, I shouldn't say that. It's, that, sounds, that sounds very bad. It wasn't one su- uh, subway sandwich. It was actually three sandwiches. She was charged $1,021.50 for three Subway subs, according to the receipt. Uh, now, mind you, footlongs typically cost between 6 bucks and 12 bucks, so it is unclear why the sandwiches were so costly. Uh, but uh, Ms. Bishop has attempted to contact Subway to get an explanation, get a refund. I mean, clearly wasn't a $1,000 sandwich that uh, that she bought, but she said she has not been able to get a hold of a live person to fix the error. Uh, unfortunately, she said the huge charge to her debit card has left her unable to pay for <laughs> just regular food. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the sandwiches are long gone. She uh, had the sandwiches, and uh, she said she... Hasn't been able to get groceries because her account was in the red. (laughs) And uh, so far, she's not been able to reach anyone at Subway to to figure out uh, what went wrong and get the whole mess straightened out. My goodness. I'd say you could go back to Subway. They... You should have a a credit on your account at Subway. Maybe go and, and have lunch there. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Did you know more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection? AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping Americans safe in dangerous times. This is News Director Matt Demchek. AM 1330 WFIN is here to serve you, and we take seriously our commitment to our listeners. We would love to hear what you value most about AM radio. Visit wearebroadcasters.com and tell us how you depend on AM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. The U.S. Census Bureau says the percentage of young adults who are living at home with their parents has jumped 87% 
in the past two decades. 87% more young adults living at home uh, instead of leaving the nest. And while they are saving money by doing so, they're not paying for a mortgage or they're not paying for uh, rent, uh, utilities, that kind of thing. Maybe they're sharing in the expenses uh, you know, once they get a job, but uh, they're certainly saving money by living at home. But it could end up costing them in another way in the end. Business Insider reports that the pandemic kicked off this trend and ex- uh, an expensive housing market prolonged the situation. And while it... While they interviewed some young adults who have made peace with having to move back in with mom and dad, uh, Business Insider says uh, some studies show all's not well with that arrangement. A 2023 Bloomberg News and Harris Poll survey of 4,100 adults showed that nearly half of young adults are now living with their parents, with nearly 70% of 18 to 29-year-olds citing financial reasons for doing so. 40% of those polled said that they just felt happier living at home. 87% of those believe that they shouldn't feel shamed for living their childhood address. But that's where it gets a little bit dicey. A 2021 Pew Research poll revealed more than a third of all Americans say so many young people living at home is bad for society. Just 16% said that it's a good thing. The Business Insider report also cited a 2019 report from the Urban Institute that found those who live with their parents uh, between the ages of 25 and 34 years old were significantly less likely to be homeowners 10 years later. So if you're living with mom and dad in your late 20s, early 30s, chances are good you're not going to be a homeowner within the next 10 years at least. Also of concern... A 2017 study out of Northumbria University showed that those who were living with their parents as a young adult reported significantly higher levels of depression. Now, I don't know what percentage is significant. It just says significantly higher levels of depressive symptoms, but uh, more likely to be uh, depressed. And it seems society is just not... And it's interesting that this is uniquely American. In many other societies around the world, uh, it is very common to have multi-generational households and a point of pride to have multi-generational households. Not so in this country. Uh, Very different cultural attitudes toward cohabitating with your parents, grandparents, and so on. I was just saying before we went on the air here that uh, this is perfect timing to have Michelle Rumschlag in the uh, studio with us from the Hancock Park District talking about uh, March programs and events and activities and such because today is one of those days we actually want to be outside. Yes, it's, it's beautiful be out. Absolutely it's, gorgeous. It's beautiful. So going to get some storms later maybe, but uh, you know, it's we'll still, enjoy. I mean, it's February. They say record, <laughs> they say record temperatures could be in the 70s today. That's, that's, so It's too early. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
<laughs> it's never too early. We have this conversation. And then next, and then year. tomorrow when it's, it's twenty. Well, at now night. that yeah. So don't you're gonna wake up and it's It'll gonna be, be a reminder. Spring. Take a coat with you on the way home. It'll, it's, it's gonna dump it's and gonna, get cold. It's gonna be, and a then reminder. it's gonna seem like negative, whatever, because <laughs> it's like a fifty degree change. And yeah. Messes well, with that's her. the that's the thing, and I often talk to. <laughs> Uh, you know, this time of year, you have those, uh, you know, big temperature swings. Yes. It'll be like going from 50 to 100 right? in the course of and I mean, it's it's the same re- temperature swing. And it's all relative. So like 50 degrees. Yeah. When it's been 20 and it's 50, it's yeah, lovely. Feels great. And then on the swing. So yeah. So 30 degrees isn't <laughs> horrible. But when it's 70 the day before. Exactly. It's- but it does afford us the opportunity uh, to get into that mindset of coming out of hibernation. Yes. And you have stuff going on in the uh, month of March. As a matter of fact, you uh, mentioned your uh, entire spring schedule is now up. Yes. So March has been up for a while. And then last week we have April and May. So HancockParks.com for all of spring uh, programming. Okay. Um, but yes, I've got something coming up actually this Sunday. Um, we're doing a painting class for kids at Oakwoods inside the Discovery Center at 2 o'clock. And so um, they get to paint. Um, it's going to be a rabbit in a field of flowers. So it's kind of not a learn how to paint. There's going to be some instruction, but yet the design's going to be their own that okay. they're going to be able to do. All it's right. roughly a one foot square primed canvas sheet. Um, it's $3 per child. And I do have enough um, for the program to happen. So we okay. are going to be doing it this Sunday. You just need to sign up by this Friday at one o'clock. Um, yeah, everything's going to be supplied, and then we'll learn more a little bit about rabbits and explore the Discover Center and okay. stuff. And it's for ages, um, kids ages nine to twelve with an adult. So and just just kids need to register, adults don't, but just want to have an adult. And naturally, it. you're talking about rabbits in a field of flowers. You got spring flowers coming right? up. You got Easter right around the corner. So it's yes, it was one that I found online. Um, I think there's a picture of it on Facebook, the one I did, and mine kind of looked weirdly enough like a Boston Terrier, like it more. <laughs> that's what I I, ha- I have them at home, and I think I made the face. So, yeah, I, I did the drawing. It wasn't a kid. I can't, I can talk about animals, man, but I can't paint or draw them <laughs> to save my soul. But that's okay. It was, I saw, I got an idea and I thought, uh, you know, it's a fun, it'll be a fun class for yeah, kids. So, if you want to come do a little painting on Sunday, um, 9 to 12, sign up by 1 o'clock this Friday. Okay. What else is going on in the uh, month of March to uh, highlight here? Well, of course, with March, um, everybody thinks maple sugaring and uh, these weird warm temperatures. Um, I know different people have been already tapping some of their maple trees. And normally we're out at Litzenberg, but we're finally having our repaving happening right now. Right. And so because of that, we are, we're moving it. Um, changing it a little bit and moving it to Riverbend. So it's not the big full-on event we normally do, but we got a couple of like, mini programs back to back to back. Okay. So if you want to make it an all-day thing, you can. So um, starting at the Brueggemann Lodge at 1 o'clock, um, this is Saturday, March 9th, um, we're going to be doing the story of maple sugaring. And so we're going to have some examples and recipes and things there, a coloring page for the kids. This is all kind of family, I guess all ages family-oriented. Um, so that'll take place at one o'clock and then starting at two, um, again, meeting up there. If you want to join us for then it's all about maple tree tapping. So we'll be hitting some of our sugar maple trees, learning information about it, how to identify maples, um, a little bit of pioneer, you know, the pioneers, of course, this is how they would have mm-hmm. made their sugar would right. have been tapping the trees. Right. So that's starting at two o'clock and then returning back to the lodge about three thirty for more of a modern production talk. And then that keychain activity that we have. Normally, we're doing this in the barn, and it's cold out. This would be from the comfort (laughs) 
I'm inside the Brueggemann Lodge. So not always uh, such a bad thing. No, and, you know, going through, um, it's kind of neat because the different beats talk about the maple sugaring story to Mm. warm days, cold nights, the trees, different things like that. So that'll be at 3.30. So again, if you want to do one of them or all of them, you can kind of still get your maple Maple sugar and fix. Fix. <laughs> and then next year, we will return back to Litzenberg for our event. Okay. Uh, anything else to uh, highlight uh, for the uh, month of March? Well, now that March is coming, it's not that far from our solar eclipse. Of course, that's happening here. Right. Um, in Less most of Ohio in, on April 8th. And so we've got a few programs coming up um, on Sunday, March 24th. We're going to have an open house at the Discovery Center um, about the solar eclipse, and so it'll be talking about um, talking about the eclipse. You know the different types there are. So this one is a total, so it will get right. dark, dark. We've got oh, it's like three minutes and change of totality mm-hmm. um, when it does happen. So yeah. that's the twenty fourth, and then we also have on Friday the 29th, um, where you can make an eclipse viewer. Um, we're having a workshop to do one okay. of those pinhole eclipse projectors, okay. yeah, um, kind of thing. And it's this again. The safety of of viewing right. the eclipse, right? E- even when it's starting to get kind of dark, you you can still well, you can still damage your eyes, and then don't don't look through your phone or your camera. So don't even put your camera. Yeah, it can it can it can ruin your camera on your phone. Right. If you're trying to take a picture of it, you mm-hmm. still need that solar filter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So. The only time you can you can safely look is is that totality 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 yeah. when when that happens. And so again, we're going to have information. Um, and those things, um, and the pinhole and, and making the pinhole viewers yes. is great because you can generally do that with stuff you've got around the house. Right. And so if you can't find the solar eclipse glasses right, right now, you can find them everywhere, right. but you closer we get, the yes. harder there's going to be to find. Right. So. I know when the personal one happened a handful of years ago, right. um, we did it with a paper plate <laughs> outside yeah. the front of the office. Um, cause it was just a partial. So, yeah. so that'll be happening. Um, and then just information and really about viewing, um, you can view from your house. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to have some things happening in the parks, but like everybody else, we don't know. There's there's going to be right. lots of people in yeah. Finley Hancock County. Yeah. So it's, it's just, you know, we're going to give you the tools to do it and then encourage you to stay at home yeah. and safely do it from your uh, looking beyond March, uh, need to uh, mention this because <laughs> spring is right around the corner and what comes after spring, summer, yes. summer camps, and already starting to fill up. Yes. Um, I'm, my mind is blown. So we went live with our summer camps Friday afternoon and normally we've been putting them out in the springtime to get that jump. Um, and I came in the office yesterday and some of our camps are half full. And I, we fill them up and normally it's fast, but I don't think it's ever happened this fast yeah. before. So thank you for those people that have done it. Um, so all of our summer camps are live on the website. So we do, um, it's at the adventure day camps were some of the, those ones. Those are the one day, six to 12. They're very popular. Um, we do a week in June, a week in August. Um, also, um, I know we have a, a pioneer camp for six, seven and eight year olds. I think that one was half full already. Um, so we do some broad age ones, and then we do them from toddlers up to teens. Um, we're having a wood carving camp. We've got a survival camp for 10 to 12-year-olds. So information's out there. Get your kids signed you up. You need to get them signed yeah. up, right, because, um, like I said, normally they fill, I think last year some of those one days filled in, in April. Um, yeah, I've, I've never yeah. seen this, the turnaround of people getting getting signed up. And they'll ask, and we won't 
do more summer camps. What we have is what we have. Of course, we're going to do other programming that we will mm-hmm. come out with. That'll be more in May when the summer programming comes out. So if you missed out on the summer camp opportunity, there's yeah. definitely things for children to do. Right. Um, but if you want to get them involved in the camp programs. I, yes. I always preach sooner than later, but yeah. definitely this year with some of those. Yeah. Um, you definitely want to get on there. Again, HancockParks.com. And it's not on our calendar. Normally you hit the program calendar, but if it's one of those front banners. Jamie's got a great link there that will list all of summer. And it's, camps, you can do it by month. So you can look okay. at June, July. And August and get those reserved. By the way, uh, also, uh, you mentioned that Litzenberg is closed for some upgrades and stuff that is is greatly needed. But that's going to be closed for a while, right? That is until I think we're at least through May with that part. So I know for programming-wise, we're being safe and we won't do anything out there until July. Okay. So I know our McKinnis open houses and then some of our later summer camps will be happening out there. What about uh, we're coming up in the time people are reserving uh, places? Are you taking reservations or not taking reservations? What is that? Not through the spring. I'm not exactly okay. sure what our dates are on that. Again, you can check check availability um, with the activity barn for obviously graduation just, parties, right? Right. I bring it up because, yes. yeah, that's coming up and if it's one going to be potentially one less venue uh, for some available. Of the, for some of the yeah. time, yes. And I don't remember what we blocked it out to because that's not i'm, I'm obviously right. programs i know we're um so if you get on the website you can always call okay. the office but so if you get on the website you'll see what it's blocked out until okay. so that will give you yeah. information for sure so of just when that to, yes something or even even yeah right all shelters like people are getting into that right just like summer camps. Book Just like now. summer camps, yep. you know, graduation, that's not going to be here before long. <laughs> Very good. Unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> I know, you're, you're going through that now. I have it. My first one is graduating, so. <laughs> so you know I, firsthand I'm not, now. I'm not rushing anything. <laughs> so I don't have to worry about that. I think we're, we're, we're not, we're just going to do ours. But, right. We're a lot of people, right? There's just a lot of things to cross. Yeah. So uh, I, I know what you're going through. Michelle Rumschlag, the Hancock Park District, with us uh, this morning. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information about uh, stuff coming up March and beyond uh, as we head into the uh, spring and summer. Michelle, thanks very much for uh, joining us. Thanks for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, more than half of Americans now say that the cost of living is too high and their income is too low to purchase a home. But what's the real problem that those numbers are pointing to? We'll take a closer look. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.